Hello, and welcome to the Paperless People podcast. I'm your host, Zahra Alvarazi. So in this podcast series, we've been talking about the issue of statelessness and attempts to tackle it. And we've particularly been talking about the new push under the Sustainable Development Goals to achieve legal identity for all. What we want to do in this final episode is to take a step back and take some time to reflect on some of the lessons that we've learnt, especially through the national case studies, and really start to look forward about what potential solutions could look like. To help me with this conversation, I'm lucky to be joined by my colleague, who is also at the Institute on Statelessness and Inclusion, the wonderful Dr. Laura Van Wass, who will join me in offering some final reflections on the issue. We will also hear from some other experts as well. Laura, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. So firstly, what do you hope to achieve in this podcast? So for me, the podcast is about helping people to understand SDG 16.9, which is in itself is a whole mouthful. But there are many people and organisations involved in the Sustainable Development Goals at different levels, nationally, regionally, globally. And within that community, there is not a lot of attention paid to this idea of it providing legal identity for all. And it's also a very abstract concept, much harder to understand than helping kids get to school and helping people to access healthcare. So I hope that the podcasts are going to be a way for people to understand what legal identity really is and to start to appreciate its importance and the importance of getting the programming on legal identity right. So we've heard from the national case studies about some of the daily problems that people face because they're excluded because of their statelessness. So obviously the urgency of the issue is is, is vital. But in your opinion, why should we be having this particular conversation now? Well, it's a really critical moment for the Sustainable Development Goals and for Goal 16 in particular, because in 2019, there will be another high level political forum of the United Nations in New York. And Goal 16 is one of the ones that is going to be reviewed. And there's going to be a critical assessment of how things are going. So this is the time to join the conversation and make sure that 16.9 is included in that discussion. Because if we don't readjust how we're doing things now, it's going to be too late to make the kind of change that is needed as the sustainable development goals are implemented further. So leading on from the kind of the importance of why we have to be discussing things now and why we really want uh, to generate awareness about the possible pitfalls of the current approach uh, and to generate some discussion on this, uh, one of the experts that we're going to be hearing from today in the podcast is Laura Goodwin, who's from an organisation called NAMATI. Uh, And so NAMATI is an NGO that's committed to giving legal empowerment to people. Um, It aims to help people understand, use and shape laws affecting them. And so we asked Laura what she thinks about potential pitfalls with the current approach on the legal identity push. Um, So this is Laura. I, I feel like while the idea of legal identity for all could be very positive, there's a risk that would leave out the most vulnerable or marginalized. I think if we think about legal identity in terms of just numbers, how many people are reached, how many people have documentation, um, you you may increase the reach a lot, say through mobile registration drives, new technologies, but if you get to 95% or 98% of people, who are the other 2%? And it's likely that they may be among the poorest, the most marginalized, or the most vulnerable who are being left out of that system. So the idea of having a sort of 
minority of people who are being left out, which actually in reality means massive amounts of people. That seems to be a recurring point throughout the podcast, isn't it? Yes, and this also has to do with how the measurement of progress under goal SDG 16.9 is set up. So the way in which we're looking at whether we're making progress is by counting, basically, the percentage of children who achieve birth registration. And that sounds great. Um, But as Laura Goodwin points out, if we get to 95% or 98%, A really critical question is who are the remaining 2% who haven't been able to um, achieve their legal identity to achieve birth registration? And if those populations are the populations who are already marginalised, who are already excluded from services, then the fact that they don't have this document is actually going to probably make their lives even more difficult and even harder. Yeah, I mean, what I found particularly interesting about the different national case studies that were in the previous episodes was that they really showed how the pitfalls, uh, the potential pitfalls, ultimately, of these uh, SDGs affects people, communities who have been who at different stages of exclusion. So we've got the Roma in Serbia, for example, who are a minority, again, this whole issue of excluding this minority people who have been excluded for decades and what that means for them today. And then we've got the DR, who the people, the Dominican Republics who are ethnically Haitian and what's happened to them in the past few years. And then we've got a very topical issue of a community that's about to be excluded in India, in, in, in the Assam region. So all these different communities are at different stages of exclusion. And this sustainable development goal, if it isn't implemented properly, will affect all of them and really make this exclusion concrete. And that's why I found particularly interesting about you know, looking at it from like a minority point of view. I think the Roma example that we set out in our, in, as one of our case studies is a really important one to take a moment to reflect on. So there we see that Serbia as a country is doing really well in terms of making sure that every child is registered at birth. They're at 99.4%. Now, that's, that's fantastic. But we see that within the Roma community, who are already among the most poor in the country, there's a far higher rate of non-registration. So that means that there are far more children and people without documents. And so what I think that shows us is that in order to make sure that they are really included, which is what the SDGs are all about, you need to do more than just roll out birth registration in general. You need to have a strategy for reaching those people who, for whatever reason, are finding it hard to get that document. Because if you don't tailor your approach to that community, they will never actually be included and they will find their lives becoming harder and harder because they are the only ones left without documents. Yeah. So, I mean, when you say it like that, it sounds it sounds really obvious. So what I kind of struggle to understand a little bit about is why this particular SDG and this indicator has been so uncontroversial and that people haven't been aware of this. One of the reasons why the inclusion of legal identity within the sustainable development agenda is so significant is that governments are already obviously working to make sure that their populations have documents. Um, There is anyway a great interest in identification systems, in biometrics, in ensuring the security of someone's identity credentials. But what the SDGs adds to that is this idea that all of that work must be about ensuring 
inclusiveness and it must be about actually improving people's access to services their enjoyment of rights so it changes actually the way in which we should be approaching these kinds of programs we should be making sure that those people who are finding it difficult to get documents are helped to do so Um, and that's why the work of organizations like namati is so critical because they're offering that extra assistance that is needed to reach the most marginalized so clearly, I mean, what, what you're saying and what we keep hearing is that there needs to be an increased awareness of the possible adverse effects from those that, who are working to implement uh, to implement these SDGs. Um, what I want to do now is to hear a little bit from uh, Kata Butskic from Microjustice, Microjustice for All on how uh, legal identity can certainly help to highlight these crucial issues. Yes, absolutely. It uh, shines, it puts a spotlight on the issue, which previously has been overlooked in my opinion. We've been doing this kind of work for over 20 years now, starting in Yugoslavia for instance during the after post-conflict. And up until recently there has been very little focus on the topic and now with that SDG and an SDG 16.9 in particular there's a lot more attention being put on this kind of work. Uh, we also talked to uh, Professor Joshua Castellino a law professor and the executive director of Minority Rights Group International. Uh, We've heard from him before in some earlier podcasts. We asked him for some reflection this time on how best to try and solve the access to legal identity problem for all. Essentially, development actors, their their premise is that they want to make sure that everybody in a given territory has access to the fruits of the sustainable development goals. So their starting point is not so much on what is your status. Their starting point is much more on what is your access to to the actual goals. And I think changing the dimension to one of access is important because then you can simply look at the extent. So take any given village. If you know that uh, uh, the village has 10,000 children of school-going age and yet you only have 9,500 in schools, then you need to understand why those extra 500 are not in school. And I think from the perspective of development actors, a failure to get those extra 500 in schools essentially undermines the possibility of achieving the, the the goal on education. The question around status is, is secondary to that. And I think, in a sense, it's a much more service-oriented approach than a rights-based approach. And that's not to suggest that a rights-based approach isn't very, very important, because you need to have a remedy when there's a failure to, to access something. But somehow, just looking at it from, a, from the context of a, a, a remedy so far has not given us the, the results that we want. So we need to start looking at other approaches. And I think one of the things that development actors can do is to ensure full coverage. And full coverage means everybody who's resident in any given area for any given service. So Laura, do you have any reflections on what Joshua was saying? Joshua makes a really important point about full coverage. And this is really what the SDGs are all about. They're about leaving no one behind. So it's really encouraging, actually, that in the implementation of goal uh, 16.9, the World Bank, which is spearheading efforts, has adopted a set of principles about what identification for development means. And key to those principles is this idea of universality, inclusion, full coverage. So it's really important that that is also implemented at the level of programming and made real. But something which is equally important that is not talked about as much is the quality of the legal identity document that people are given. So yes, it's absolutely critical to have full coverage to get everyone a document, but it's also important 
to look at what that document says. So we saw, for instance, in the Dominican Republic case study that people do have a birth certificate, but it's a birth certificate that concludes that they are a foreigner. And that has huge implications for their access to rights and services. And in fact, is a way that their exclusion is kind of set in stone. Mm. So we need full coverage, but we also need to be critical of what the document says, because it's what the document says that determines what people are able to access. Okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. And before we move on to discussing more potential solutions, um, I just wanted to ask if you had any more points on the potential unforeseen consequences when we're pushing for access to legal identity documents for everyone. I think the thing to really keep in mind is that we live in a world where the ability to identify yourself is ever more important. Think of all of the times that you're asked to show a document to show who you are. So we know that it is important for people to have documentation, but we also know that a document has as much power to exclude people as it does to include people. So we need to avoid an unintended consequence of a situation in which everyone is given a document, but lots of people are actually cast out as foreigners, as we see in Assam, in India now, as this emerging problem of a group of people who may suddenly go from being citizens to being foreigners. Now, they may still have a document, but that document becomes worth a lot less. And actually, they're going to be much further left behind with Mm -hmm. that document afterwards. Yeah. Okay, Um, so if we really are to achieve this sort of ideal of leaving no one behind, as is the the ideal when it comes to the sustainable development goals, what really needs to happen when it comes to getting legal access identity for all? Especially because this legal identity is very much often the gateway to accessing so many other rights. Um, First of all, let's hear from some of our experts again. Yeah, so the leave no one leave no one behind principle has been specifically added and it's specifically a central facet of the sustainable development uh, goals because of the fact that you if you want to imagine a world in 2030 and that has vast tracts or even small tracts of people that are invisible then this is a problem and i think how it can be how it can be really utilized in terms of realizing the aspirations of the stateless is to ensure that first of all uh, statistical departments in governments are aware of the gap that exists between the full uh, population that's resident on their territory and those people or th- that part of the population that is resident on the territory that has citizenship. And Laura Goodwin from Namati again, she talks about how involving the affected communities themselves is essential. Here she talks about her citizenship program. Um, what we do is we use what we call a community paralegal approach. So paralegals are recruited and trained from within these communities that are affected and given knowledge of the law and skills like negotiation, mediation, and community advocacy. The paralegals then walk people through the process of applying for documentation. A lot of times that requires mobilizing people to apply first because people have heard about discriminatory practices or heard the challenges that have others faced. And then the paralegal will provide support, whether that's filling out a form, giving information, helping to interface with a registrar, and doing a lot of follow-up as these processes often take a lot of persistence. 
So the goal is not just to help people get documentation, but the paralegals also track what's happening. So we collect data on things like how long does it take to get a document and for who, what kinds of questions are asked, what kinds of supporting documents someone needs to supply, whether there's corruption in the system. And that data, once we have hundreds or thousands of cases becomes evidence on what's really happening on the ground that we can use for advocacy. And this idea is something that's really echoed also by Kata Butskic from Microjustice for All. She explains how alongside discrimination, which leads to deliberate exclusion, there sometimes is also the simple question of access, which can lead to exclusion by accident rather than design. The focus we have is a point of accessibility of those of those issues. It's not so much what it does to somebody who isn't who's necessarily actively discriminated against. It's an issue of people who simply don't have access to those documents. So rather than actively somebody discriminating you from having them, it is more so a matter of does it take you too far to travel to get those documents? Is it too expensive to obtain an identity document? Is the procedure way too complicated for you to understand how to obtain a document. Is that document even in a language you speak and understand? For others, like Peter van Slaus from the Dutch development organisation Cordaid, his suggestion is that international pressure needs to be exerted to ensure that governments adhere to human rights principles. I think that the international community as a whole has a, has a responsibility here to act and also put pressure on those governments which are not allowing these rights to be exercised. And if that is uh, indeed being done and the case in, in certain country context, uh, uh, I think there are other measures that can be put in place to put pressure on these governments to adhere to these principles. So these ideas from the experts are some really concrete ideas. Laura, do you think that these are actually the sort of things that can really, on the ground, help tackle statelessness and some of the exclusion problems we've been exploring. I think the people who we've just heard from raise um, a really important point about how there are two things which need to happen. One is to work in general, as Kata has been explaining, on accessibility of systems for documentation. So just reducing the practical barriers that exist by looking critically at the system and saying, is this too complicated for people to understand? Is this too far to ask people to travel? So that's one side of it. And there, there yeah. it's quite obvious that you can simplify systems and yeah. just make it more accessible. That, that's you know easy for everyone to understand. The other side, which I think is raised very clearly by Laura Goodwin, is being alert for structural problems which are actually excluding particular groups and making sure that we can flag those kinds of problems, helping the excluded groups to overcome them with things like paralegal projects, but also daring to say, well, actually, the policy seems to be discriminatory here. So let's rethink the policy and that's where Peter's point of international pressure comes in, because that can be a tool to actually uh, leverage in order to ensure that the system itself changes. So then, really, it's about a holistic approach. So it's looking at all the different types of obstacles and coming together from people who are different stakeholders, who sometimes perhaps don't normally work together, uh, and looking at all the different obstacles to why exclusion is happening. That makes a lot of sense. 
Um, we also want to point out that the paralegal approach from Namati certainly very much seems to be bearing fruit. Here's Laura Goodwin again, who's talking about some of the successes that they've had. I would say our successes, we've had a few different kinds of successes. First, paralegals have been able to help thousands of people access documentation, as well as push for better implementation on the ground. Um, we've had instances where um, forms, say application forms, are being sold when they should be available for free. And through the paralegals interfacing with the system, educating people within the community about what should be happening, and then putting pressure on the government using the knowledge of the law actually had some of those corrupt practices ended. At the same time, we've seen a lot of former clients going on to help others, so a ripple effect within the community, and then also using the data to report what's happening. So for example, a few years ago, in Kenya, the African Committee on the Rights and Welfare of the Child had a Nubian minors decision, a decision in the Nubian minors case, in which they said certain practices that the Kenyan government were undertaking were discriminatory and against Kenya's obligations under the regional human rights documents. And we've been able to use paralegal case data to show that even in the years since that decision, practice hasn't changed much. The challenges still exist on the ground. And that's been very important to do reporting as well as to put pressure on the government to say not enough is changing and these policies and practices need to improve in order to include everyone. What what I find really inspiring about Namati's work is that, I mean, development can be an amazing thing and it can have really positive consequences. But what Namati has done has made sure that it's bottom up. Um, so really understanding the communities and, you know, making this change come from the communities and understanding the effects and the consequences and everything else. So it's not just an external force that's come to create development. It's really a bottom up process. Um, I don't know if you have any reflections as well on some of Laura Goodwin's t- uh, what she said about the work of Namati. I really like the way that Laura Goodwin talked about a ripple effect of the work. I think that's really key. And one of the ways in which that is happening is to allow the community that needs this extra help, really, in order not to be left behind, to be visible and to participate in processes. Because otherwise, one of the risks actually is that they're not even included in the 100% against which we're monitoring because they're invisible to everyone. So it allows people to say, well, no, we're here and we're joining in. We're trying to fix this problem. Um, Please make sure that you're providing assistance and uh, helping us. One of the other things that this ripple effect idea makes me think of is the story of Khalid Hussein that we heard in the very first podcast in the series. He's an active member of the Bihari community in Bangladesh that came together to really fight for their rights bottom up. And we see that adding this little bit of legal empowerment gives the community the opportunity to say, well, no, we're we're going to go through the system. We're going to take our issues to court. We're going to fight them out. And they're making real progress there. Mm. So the ripple effect works in many ways in terms of monitoring what's happening, but also giving the community the tools they need to take their issues to a higher level if they really face structural discrimination. Absolutely. And to say that, you know, the way you guys are, 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 are 
have you guys have a really good idea but perhaps this way doesn't work in our community and there are other ways that it can be done so yeah no I totally agree um so we're coming to the end of this podcast uh and to for the end of the whole podcast series uh, I wondered whether you had any final thoughts that you wanted to share um for me personally this exercise has been really interesting in trying to kind of really unlock some of the issues that we all sort of knew were out there but really to go into detail about some of the problems between uh making sure that stateless communities are very much part of the discussion in terms of ensuring legal identity for all and i personally really hope that at minimum this podcast can can help people working in these fields really understand and become more aware of some of these issues. But I don't know whether you had any final thoughts and reflections yourself uh, that you wanted to end on. Well, I've had a lot of conversations with people over the past months about legal identity. And when you have the time to explain what some of these issues are and what some of the risks are, it's actually quite easy for people to grasp. Um, It's just that they haven't necessarily taken the time to stop and think about it. And I'm really encouraged overall by the activity around the sustainable development goals and the work of people like the Pathfinders for Peaceful, Just and Inclusive Societies that are really pushing an inclusive approach to Goal 16 as a whole. And I just hope that with all of these efforts and with the organisations that are working to make 2019 a year for justice, Mm -hmm. that legal identity is included in those conversations going forward, because it's not abstract or scary or unimportant. Um, It's the opposite of all of those things. So I hope that the podcast is a way for people to get to grips with that. So you've actually, you've made me quite optimistic, actually, in the end, um, that it really is, it's not too late and things can still be done when there are great people working on this. Absolutely. We've got many, many years to go for the sustainable development agenda, but now's the time to change tack if that's needed. Wonderful. So you can hear the whole podcast series and all good podcast apps on Spotify too, and also on our website, www.institutesi.org. We really want to generate as much discussion as possible uh, to keep my optimism going. So please do share the podcast. We'd also love to hear your feedback. Uh, You can reach us also on Twitter at Institute underscore SI. Finally, we just want to thank uh, all the speakers in the podcast today and all the speakers throughout the entire series, especially those who we spoke to from their communities in Serbia, the Dominican Republic and India. We also like to thank our funders, the Knowledge Platform Security and Rule of Law, who have made this possible to create this podcast. We would also really like to thank Andy Clark, who's been our teacher and guide on how to create podcasts. Without him, this wouldn't have been possible. This is the Paperless People podcast. If you haven't heard the other episodes yet in this podcast, please do go back and listen to them. And also, if you are interested in the topic and interested in ensuring that this is part of the discussion of the SDGs, we really do encourage you to share it with others. This is me, Zahra al and thank you very much for listening. <laughs>